Stand Up For The Truth is sponsored by Lakeshore Communications Incorporated and made possible by your generous tax-deductible donations at StandUpForTheTruth.com slash donate. This is Stand Up For The Truth, a packed hour of challenging discussion addressing important issues and topics affecting Christians across the nation. Join the conversation via email at comments at StandUpForTheTruth.com. Now, David Fiorazzo. Good morning, friends, brothers and sisters in Christ. Uh, another good opportunity to talk about truth and things that matter from an eternal perspective. As we continue day by day into this Christmas season, I hope you're uh, not getting too frazzled and too busy and distracted yet. And I hope you don't. I hope we all try to uh, maintain a, a, some sort of a balance in our lives as we get closer to the celebration of the birth of our Savior. And uh, don't get hung up on all the the minors. Don't major in the minors. Well, let's open up this program in prayer as we always do. Father in heaven, thank you for giving us another day of life, health, strength, and we thank you for your Holy Spirit. Uh, I don't know what we do without him, Lord. Um, we love you. We praise you. We know that you are always watching over us, and uh, when we go through hard times, it causes us to look up to you and just be thankful that you are our God and you give us an eternal hope and this life is not all there is. And we thank you for the truth, Lord. We thank you that we have your word, that we can go to the Bible and understand your character, your nature, and that is the foundation of our truth in our lives. And we thank you for that. We th I don't know how people, without you, Lord, I don't know how people do it, how people live. They live in hopelessness. But I thank you, Lord, for what you've provided for us and the reminder this Christmas season of what we have to look forward to and what the, the amazing mystery of the incarnation and, and Jesus coming to earth is just amazing. But uh, thank you for all that, Lord. Um, important program today, we'll talk about some false teachings, Father, and we pray for discernment. And as always, may your Holy Spirit lead us. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, truth is becoming more and more debated, offensive, and rejected in the world today. Uh, that doesn't mean truth does not exist. That doesn't mean God does not exist, nor does it mean truth has changed. But without fixed moral absolutes and without the inerrant word of the one true God, we'd be in a lot of trouble. The Apostle Paul writes to the Galatians in 4.16, So have I become your enemy by telling you the truth? Some Christians prefer to remain on the sidelines, you know, busy, you know, dealing with life rather than speak truth to others or address the many controversial issues being debated these days. But if the church doesn't preach the full gospel, confront apostasy, and expose evil, many people will remain confused and lost eternally. Today's guest is Don Vino, president of Midwest Christian Outreach, whose mission is to give clear answers and a solid defense of the Orthodox biblical faith to all types of unbelievers, including those within various cults. In addition to being missionaries to these groups, it's also their purpose to train and equip others who have placed their trust in Jesus Christ, his death, burial, physical resurrection for their salvation. And Don and his wife, Joy, formed Midwest Christian Outreach in April of 1995. He joins us again today. Don, welcome back to Stand Up For The Truth, brother. It is good to be with you again. All right. Well, uh, we haven't had got a title for today's podcast yet, but I know we're going to talk about uh, Jehovah's Witnesses and some of the things they believe that contrast with biblical truth in the scriptures. Also, Enneagrams, and uh, we'll get to that a little later, that you say that is really starting to seep into the church, and it's dangerous. We want to find out more about that. But let's lay some groundwork, Don. And before we do that, wait a minute. We I haven't talked to you in a while. Just how you're doing. I know you had just had a recent uh, another recent YouTube uh, program on your YouTube channel. Just give me an update on what God's been doing in the last six months in your ministry. Well, you know, we're, we're like, busy, uh, <laughs> um, <laughs> as, as you might guess. Yeah. Uh, yeah, the, our YouTube channel is growing. We're, we're pretty excited about that. We are using a new uh, software and uh, connection, uh, and uh, that is live every Tuesday at noon Central Time, and we do a variety of topics. Last week, we uh, had a Muslim and a Christian from South Africa debating on wow. uh, Jesus or on uh, Yahweh or Allah. Hmm. Uh, so that went well. Yesterday we uh, did a, a program on the uh, new up-and-coming heresy that's sweeping through the church like Ebola virus. Hmm. 
uh, called the Enneagram. So, uh, and it's it's important stuff, and people can interact live. So, in the chat area, so that's uh, that's always good. Uh, the the blog obviously is growing, and uh, you're now on the mailing list, so you see what we do with that. Um, and the ministry is uh, growing in terms of people contacting us for help, not only reaching those in cults or family members that they've lost to cults, which is why we actually began, mm-hmm. uh, but because of the amount of, uh, or the lack of understanding of the essentials of doctrine in many of the churches today. It's unfortunate. When you were talking about uh, those who are not really doing outreach, my conviction is on that is this. If you don't really understand that people are genuinely lost, mm-hmm and will be eternally separated from God, then there is no real reason to be actively engaged in evangelism. If you realize they will be separated eternally from God, that's like forever, Hmm. and you love them, at that point, there is nothing you won't do, no amount of money you won't spend or time you won't invest to try to understand how I can lovingly reach them it makes a difference in your view of the future of humanity and how you respond in areas of faith. And that, uh, when you get that understanding or when we are reminded of that truth, it uh, just helps us to see other people in our daily lives as, I think in Corinthians, Paul wrote that we now no longer see someone in the flesh or, or consider someone in the flesh, they are either saved or not saved. Right. That's so, right. That's right. And uh, there's a lot of false teachings um, in the church, but there's a lot of other religions and cults that draw people away. And I, I would just want to go to the Jehovah's Witnesses and talk about the Watchtower and little history there. And you've got, you mentioned them uh, in your new article at uh, your website, Midwest Christian Outreach, called uh, Present. That's the name of the article. But this is interesting, and I'm, I'm thinking, wow, if Christians had this much dedication— it says, the Jehovah's Witnesses have mapped out the entire United States so that every residence will be contacted at least once or twice a year by a team of door-to-door workers. They claimed recently that in one year, over 3.6 million members spent over 835 million hours going door-to-door witnessing for the Watchtower. And I read that, it's a kind of astounding if those numbers are even close to being accurate, Don, but it's my heart kind of sank a little bit as well, because what if the Christian church were doing that? Because we know the truth, right? Well, okay, and, and here's how I want to respond to that. Are they doing it because they love God, or are they doing it for another reason? Uh, this all comes into into the question uh, that we're trying to answer here. Christians, unfortunately, uh, have come to the idea that the Bible is written about them, and you see it all over the place. My book of Bible promises, yeah. and all those kinds of things. Uh, it's about me. I uh, a, a great film that came out uh, last year called uh, um, "The American Gospel: Christ Alone." Uh, and there's a line in there that I just gripped me and says the, that many think the Bible is a story about them in which they are the main character and God is a supporting actor. Mm. In actuality, God is the main character. We are supporting actors. <laughs> so yeah. we only have value in the whole picture of things because God ascribes value to us, not because we inherently have value. Jehovah's Witnesses go to door to door because of their view of salvation. They're not going, it is for them also selfish because if they don't do it, they will be eternally uh, destroyed at Armageddon. So they're not doing it out of the goodness of their hearts necessarily, but because it is a requirement of salvation, which brings us to kind of where I think we need to start with all of this. We, you and I could spend the next uh, 20 to 40 minutes just kicking around Watchtower Doctrines. People might go, that's interesting, but walk away unhelped. And mm. I mean that in this way. It's not a tool that we can develop fully in that short of time to give them something really, really 
powerful. Mm-hmm. But we can give them some direction. And so there's several things that lately, as, as of late, I have been speaking about in churches when I, uh, when I uh, have the opportunity, on the nature of God, the nature of man, the nature of sin, the nature of the resurrection, the nature of salvation, and the inspiration and inerrancy of Scripture. Mm. Now, if you can kind of come to grips with those areas, it really starts equipping you to be able to ask questions of others. Uh, and, and to kind of demonstrate how this works, I want to go to... Uh, uh, something that happened a few months back. Josh Harris, you know who Josh Harris is, right? Uh, Josh Harris authored the book, uh, I Kissed Dating Goodbye. Yeah. And then uh, not that long ago, he kissed Christianity yeah, Goodbye. Exactly. I wonder if that's going to be a follow-up book. <laughs> well, he, you know, he, he was honest enough to say, you know, gosh, I, I there's no measure that I know of that would allow me to call myself a Christian any longer. Mm. Now, I'm not saying he's a Christian or not a Christian. I, I frankly don't know. But here's what I know, that his his faith was rooted in something we might call the sexual prosperity gospel. Mm. So what does that mean? Well, in the sexual prosperity gospel, um, if we live sexually holy lives uh, in a patriocentric culture, which is what he grew in, sort of a Bill Gothard culture. His father was uh, almost a clone of Bill Gothard. Uh, In a homeschooling environment, there's a cause-and-effect mechanistic approach to life and faith. In that view, if you're sexually pure, you will prosper in all your relationships. You'll have an abundance of financial rewards. Your kids won't rebel. Your family members won't get acne. You know, well, maybe not that. Maybe that isn't included, but (laughs) you understand what I mean. Everything in your life will be good because you lived a sexual, pure life. You will be, you'll have prosperity. Uh, In that group also, in that culture, God is waiting for you to make a big mistake so he can squash you like a bug. If you get out of line, you get out from under the umbrella of protection, you are sexually impure or something like that, uh, you will be squashed unmercifully. Uh, if your life is going well, it's because you're righteous and those who are suffering around you are actual sinners and you want to avoid them. Women are subservient. He throws off what are actually false views and he's assuming his beliefs on sexuality were wrong. Why? Because he's throwing off a false view of God, not realizing that. And so everything else then collapses. His nature of his view of the nature of God wasn't true. Mm. That impacts his view on the nature of man, which also impacts on the nature of sin, which also impacts on the nature of the resurrection, which also impacts on the nature of salvation, which impacts on his view of the inspiration and inerrancy of Scripture. When you start to throw one away, everything else begins collapsing under its weight. So again, can you repeat those, please? The nature of God, the nature of man, sin, resurrection, and then? Salvation. Salvation, okay. Inspiration and inerrancy of Scripture. Mm-hmm. Those are important. <laughs> Thank you. They're all, they're all part of the essentials of the faith. Yes. If you can get those understood and in line, a pretty good grasp on them, it will guide you in understanding uh, what it is we are supposed to believe and even how we are supposed to communicate with others. So how does that affect things like Jehovah's Witnesses? Um we have a break coming up in about a few minutes here, but let's see how quickly we can kind of go through this part of it. First, I would suggest this. I have had uh, people contact me, or as I speak in churches, they'll say to me, you know, Jehovah's Witnesses come to my door. I just get up my Bible, and I read them John 1, 1, and they run away. Now, I'm a little mystified exactly <laughs> as to how to respond to that, uh, because I, I, I guess I'm confused. Is our mission to force people to run away from us no. or to engage them with the gospel? Yes. <laughs> B. <laughs> yeah, B. So so I, I understand if they're saying, look, I'm trying to protect my family in the neighborhood. I, I do get that. Uh, but I think that there are other ways to accomplish that. Uh, so a Jehovah's Witness comes to your door, you are not prepared to talk to them almost ever, even me, because I'm usually busy doing something. Uh, and so, I, I and number one, number two, when they come to your door, you wrote off your survey earlier, 
when they come to your door, door to door, they are with at least six other people at that point. You don't necessarily realize that. But they meet, they get in a car together, they go to a neighborhood, mm. they get out of the car, and they disperse to go door to door. So they don't have time to sit down and and do theological debates. They just don't. Because uh, they have scheduled to meet up back up with a group at a particular time to finish up their you know their door to door work. So here's my suggestion: when they come to your door, lick your lips, open the door, give them a really big smile, tell them I am so glad you're here. It is inconvenient, but I do want to talk to you. Can we meet on Thursday at my house here at seven? I mean, pick a day and pick a time. Be prepared for that little discussion, and then. They have to make a decision. Am I going to come back? Am I going to not? They love to do book studies, and so generally they're going to agree. Then, when they leave, you can panic and call me and go, okay, what do I do next? (laughs) (laughs) Where's Don's number? (laughs) Where's Don's number, right? Uh, Because we would love to help you with that. Second thing is, when you meet them the first time, you want to have something prepared, but you want to actually want to start with a different kind of a question. That they're not used to. Why Why are you a JW? What led you to being a Jehovah's Witness? And here's why I say that. If they're a Jehovah's Witness because they never had friends before, then talking to them about the history of the organization is not helpful. They didn't join because it's got an illustrious history. They joined because they never had friends. If they are, uh, say, a, a woman who had a newborn at home and had no adult conversation going on around her, and Jehovah's Witnesses are coming every, you know, Thursday morning to have coffee and, mm. and uh, Bible discussions. She joined because they cared about her and spent time with her in adult conversation. And so you're asking her to leave those who befriended her in a time of need. So she didn't join for theology. She joined because of relationships. Uh, if they joined because the Jehovah's Witnesses came by and said, oh, by the way, the, tr- the Trinity is false, and they are unschooled in the doctrine of the Trinity, then that, now it's a theological question. So finding out why they're JWs is really helpful. And I'll tell you a funny story. I had one time some years ago, I was talking with someone. I said, why a Jehovah's Witness? And they said, well, we researched every religion and realized that Jehovah's Witnesses are the only ones who really had the truth about God. Now, I hadn't heard that before. That was kind of an interesting one. So we talked about some other issues. And about three weeks later, I met with another Jehovah's Witness, and I asked them why they're Jehovah's Witness. And guess what they said? I researched all other religions, and I went, I heard that before. And so I said to them, hmm, where did you do your research? And I said, well, I read the Watchtower. I said, okay, could that be biased? (laughs) Yes. Uh, What was it about uh, the Urantia book that caused you to realize they were false? And they kind of went cross-eyed and said, what's a Urantia book? And I said, well, it's, it's a book supposedly given from beings in outer space, and there's 176,000 Jesuses, and the Jesus in, of, of this planet is just one amongst them. And But you probably haven't heard about that one, so that's, okay, that's you know, an obscure group. What about uh, uh, Theravada Buddhism? What was it about that? And they said, I don't know anything about Theravada Buddhism. I said, okay, so is it possible that you really don't have research on all the world's religions, and you were deceived? Is that a possibility? Now, they were willing to engage at that point in discussion about how we know what truth is and how we would evaluate uh, a group's claims based on these essentials that I have laid out. Such a great question. How did you first come to be a Jehovah's Witness or believe in those doctrines? That's a great starting point. And and uh, we, a lot of us do try to think, all right, what one scripture will be the you know magic wand that will say this will take care of everything and convince them that Jesus is, is Lord and God? It doesn't work that way. We've got to do a little extra work, but I appreciate you offering that, Don. It's such an important question. We do have to take a break. When we come back, more with Don Vino on Stand Up For The Truth. Your monthly financial support of StandUpForTheTruth.com is needed and appreciated. Now, back to today's Stand Up For The Truth with David Fiorazzo. Our guest today is Don Vino of Midwest Christian Outreach. We are talking about just false teachings, talking about Jehovah's Witnesses in this segment. We will continue so many different doctrines that conflict 
with the Bible and Christianity, and we just mentioned some of the essentials that we need to be very, very well-versed in, the nature of God, the nature of man, the nature of sin, the resurrection, salvation, and the inspiration and inerrancy of scriptures. And now, Don, that was a phenomenal question I think we need to ask when people come knocking on our door. How, ask them a question. How did you first come to believe whatever it might be, Jehovah's Witnesses or Mormonism? What, so what would be the next step you would go to? Well, once they kind of once I kind of figure out why they're Jehovah's Witnesses, what is it offering them? Uh, then we can figure out: okay, is this something we can affirm as Christians? Because some things we can affirm, uh, or is it something that we can address to use to say: okay, but are you in a false religious group? So, for some of them, I like to deal with the question of the resurrection, and that's kind of a fun one. And here's why. Because it impacts on the essentials, on the nature of the, on their view of the nature of man. This is kind of a, an interesting starting point, I think. And here's why: Why did Charles Taze Russell start the uh, International Bible Students Association, which later became the Watchtower Bible Tract Society? Well, he didn't like the idea of hell, and you know, I got to tell you, I don't like the idea of hell either. But God <laughs> didn't really ask my opinion on that particular <laughs> question. So, so. What he decided is there is no hell. But then he ran into a problem. And see, here's where these essentials start stacking up on you. He didn't like eternal torment. He didn't like hell. And so he decided, oh, there is no soul. You are a soul. You don't have a soul. And so everything about you is physical. It's contained in your physical body. When you die, you simply cease to exist. But that then impacts the resurrection. What do you do for a resurrection? If you no longer exist, what is resurrected? Well, Hmm. your memories are all contained in your body, which cease to exist. Your life experiences all contained in your body cease to exist. The very you that exists sitting at the table talking to me just ceases to exist, goes into nothingness. But God creates a new being that looks like you. It's not you, but it's a new creation that looks just like you. And he has a second copy of your memories, which he then implants in this newly created being. So it's a third-generation copy of your first memories. And then he plugs you in so you're animated and can move around, Hmm. and they call that a resurrection. So as I go through this with a Jehovah's Witness, Uh, on the question of the resurrection, I point out, so what you're telling me is that God God could create a new you right this minute, we could shoot you between the eyes, and you'd be okay with that because your replacement is here to go home and sleep with your wife and play with your kids. They're not usually happy about that. But it isn't my teaching, it's the Westhurst teaching, and so we're disrupting their thinking. Mm. That then also impacts on their view. So no, uh, the nature of man is no soul. Uh, The nature then of the resurrection is false because it's a recreation, not a resurrection. That impacts on their nature, on their view of the nature of sin. Jesus died, according to the Watchtower, for Adam's sin. He's a one-to-one correspondent ransom. And in fact, he himself was not resurrected. He is dead, according to the Watchtower, forever dead, Wow! but God created a replacement for him. In fact, we did an article in our journal called uh, Resurrection Watchtower Style, dealing with all this at length. Uh, it, inv- it, in- it impacts on their view of the nature of salvation, uh, because your salvation is dependent on how you treat a particular group they call the anointed class, the 144,000. It is solely dependent on how you treat them, not even whether you believe in God or not, but how you treat the anointed class determines whether you will be eternally uh, on kingdom on earth or whether you'll be eternally destroyed. It impacts, ultimately, your view of the nature of God, because in that view, then, God is a Unitarian being. He's the director of creation, but not himself the creator. The Son is a created being who then created everything else. And it impacts their view of the nature of the inspiration and inerrancy of Scripture, because the Bible is written only to the anointed class, 
only the anointed class can understand and interpret it, and you can only get, only get the understanding and interpretation of the Bible through the Watchtower Bible and Tract Society, which ultimately becomes the inspired uh, communicator of God's Word. Mm. You see how these things work together? Yes. Yes, and there are there are five important facts. I'm glad you brought that up because I've I've got a book on uh, fast facts on false teachings and five things that are important to remember about Jehovah's Witnesses and the Watchtower, which they call the organization. They have accepted uh, the organization is the prophet of God. They have accepted the organization as God's sole channel for truth. They believe that to reject the organization, the Watchtower, is to reject God. They believe that the only organization that only the organization, the Watchtower, can interpret the Bible as individuals. They are unable to do so. I did not realize that. And they believe that the Watchtower magazine contains God's truth directed by Him through, of course, the organization. Now they also have uh, done their own version of the Bible. Is it the New World Translation? New World Translation. Right. Yeah, and that, I know they added the word or the name Jehovah. Uh, a bunch of times. What else can you tell us about? Because we're we're dealing with different Bibles. Then we're dealing with different sources when we go to talk about some of these doctrines. Well, we are, but I have to tell you a secret, and I try to help Christians understand this. We have to make decisions on what is the most important thing to talk about uh, in order to get ultimately to the gospel. That's where we want to get. We want to get them to Jesus. Otherwise, the discussion is just you know irritating for no apparent reason. <laughs> we can argue over whose translation is better, or, i got to tell you a secret, I think the Watchtower unwittingly gave us one of the best tools for evangelism in the New World Translation, and here's why I say that. I never, ever start out with John 1.1. It's a great passage. It's mm-hmm. a wonderful passage. Yes. But they spend hours figuring out how to argue that passage with Christians, because for many, that's the only passage they know. Mm. Instead, I take the New World Translation, now I'm not fighting over whose translation is better, and I go to Zechariah chapter 2, and I ask them uh, some fundamental questions, like, when we open the Bible, when we see the phrase, Jehovah of armies has said, quote, whose words follow? Now, they'll have to think think about that for a second, because they suspect I'm going to try to walk them into a trap of sorts, and I'm not really. I just want to know, when you read the Bible, how do you understand that? So they'll say, well, okay, I don't know what you mean. I say, well, let's say um, uh, Donald Trump said, you know, the uh, Tribune or somebody is quoting him, uh, Donald Trump said, uh, whose words follow that? And ultimately they'll say, well, Donald Trump, okay, good. I agree with that. (laughs) Donald Trump said something. Then I want to go to Zechariah chapter 2, and I kind of want to start with about... uh, Verse 7, uh, I'm, I'm trying to turn to it quickly here while we do this. Up, escape uh, to Zion. Yeah, uh-huh. You who dwell with the daughter of Babylon. You who dwell with the daughter of Babylon, escape to Zion. Keep reading. For thus says the Lord of hosts, after his... Okay, and, and, there's, and there's it says, thus says Jehovah of armies. So who's going to speak? Jehovah of armies? Uh-huh. <laughs> Keep going. After his glory sent me to the nations who plundered okay. you. Okay, who was sent? His glory sent me. No, who was sent? Sent, sent who me, was? which would be Zechariah. No. Who's speaking? Oh, wait a minute. I know this. Uh, for you a, just read it. Thus says... The, oh, thus says the Lord of... Oh, the... Uh, what, did, what did they say? The something of armies? Jehovah. Jehovah, Jehovah of, armies. of armies. Okay, so uh-huh. he's speaking... And uh-huh. so, so who? I'm, I'm a little confused about who sent me. Well, that's that. We're going to have to answer that. But it says <laughs> it hasn't told us yet who sent him. He just says he was sent. Then you'll know that the Lord of Hosts has sent me. Ah, uh, who is the Lord of Hosts? The Jehovah of Armies. Uh huh. According to them. Uh huh. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to read it from their Bible. It's, uh, okay. it's just so fun. <laughs> I'll start with with verse uh, verse six. Hey there, hey there, flee then you people from the land of the north is the utterance of Jehovah. So who just said that? Jehovah. Jehovah. For in the direction of the four winds of heaven, 
I have spread you people abroad is the utterance of Jehovah. So who said that? The utterance of Jehovah. Yeah. Uh-huh. Hey there, Zion, make your escape, you who are dwelling with the daughter of Babylon, for this is what Jehovah of armies has said. So who's going to speak? Jehovah of armies. Following after glory, he has sent me to the nations that were despoiling you people, for he that is touching you is touching my eyeball, for here I am waving my hand against them, and they will have to become spoiled for their slaves. So who is waving his hand against them? I, Jehovah of armies, or Uh the Lord. And you will certainly know that Jehovah of armies himself has sent me. Uh So who was sent? Who was sent? Jehovah of armies. Who sent him? Jehovah of armies. Uh-huh. Keep going. Sing Cry and... Cry out okay, go ahead. loudly, O daughter of Zion, for I am coming, and I will reside in the midst of you, is the utterance of Jehovah. So, who was sent? Jehovah of armies. And who's coming? I guess Jehovah of armies. And who sent him? Uh, he sent himself. No. Jehovah of Armies sent him, didn't he? Uh-huh. Correct. Right, right, right. So we have at least two in this passage that are called Jehovah of Armies. One sending and one being sent. One coming and one sending him. Verse 11. Many nations will certainly become joined to Jehovah in that day, and they will actually become my people, and I will reside in the midst of you. And you will have to know that Jehovah of Armies himself has sent me to you. So who was sent? It's a little confusing. Apparently, Jehovah of Armies was sent. Jehovah's Ar- and who's going to dwell in the midst of the people? Jehovah of Armies. And who sent him to do that? Jehovah of Armies. Uh-huh. See, it's only confusing if you think Jehovah is a Unitarian being. We understand, as we read this text, there's at least two who have the name, the divine name, Jehovah of Armies. That would be the Father and the Son, at Mm. least. Yes. And Jehovah, verse 12, will certainly take possession of Judah as his portion upon the holy ground, and he must yet choose Jerusalem. This is a very majestic verse now. Keep silence all flesh before Jehovah, for he has aroused himself from his holy dwelling. Why? He has aroused himself from his holy dwelling because he's coming to dwell with the midst of the people. He will join the people to him. Who told him to do that? Jehovah of Armies told him to do that. You have a perfect passage here in Zechariah demonstrating there's at least two in the, the na- that have the nature of God that communicate one is sending and one is being sent. One is dwelling with the people because he's directed by the other one. Isn't that a great passage? It, that's phenomenal, Don, but how do they respond to that? How do they respond to that? Uh, it seems like it's a... Uh... A contradiction because you you cannot send yourself, but right. it, that's from their Bible. It's Jehovah of Armies sent, and Jehovah right. of Armies is being is being sent. Is being sent, sending right. and being sent. Right. Very often they kind of go cross-eyed, and I ask them, I, say, <laughs> I, I, I understand this sounds a little, but it's your Bible, and so <laughs> we we know that you believe that that's accurate. So perhaps you could ask the elders to explain this to you and come back to me so that we can have a mutual understanding. But I have to caution you that I have talked with, I don't know, a hundred Jehovah's Witnesses about this, and everyone is committed to coming back after they talk with the elders to talk, and they don't, they don't. The the elders forbid them from talking to me any further because they're afraid they will become confused. Well, that's understandable. They probably are after that conversation. Yes, but here's the important part of doing it that way because it, puts them kind of on notice of saying, the elders are trying to hide something from you. Do you really want them to do that? Hmm. Wow. That's, <laughs> that, that probably gets them at least their, their head spinning a little bit. Um, well, it can. And the yeah. whole goal of this is to, to plant questions. It is rare that you will sit down at a table and in one hour lead a Jehovah's Witness from the watchtower. Right. They have spent a lot of time training them to think a certain way, to believe Mm -hmm. certain things, to embrace the idea that they cannot know God apart from the organization. Now, I have to ask you a question, David. If I persuaded you and your audience to believe 
that I am the sole representative of God on earth, that you cannot understand God without him. And if you question me, God will cause your car to break down, your wife to, I don't know, become unfaithful, and your kids to get acne. If you believed that, would you dare question what I said? Hmm. No. No. And it isn't, it isn't because you don't want to. It is because you have a terrifying fear of the consequences of disbelief. Wow. That is a profound, uh, a profound tool. Uh, we have other uh, passages in the New Testament, and it doesn't really matter which Bible you go to, uh, which almost nobody uses. I, I kind of stumbled onto this dealing with Bart Ehrman, actually, who's uh, an agnostic. And I, I kind of like Bart Ehrman, but... Uh, he doesn't have a good grasp on certain areas. Uh, and he writes in his books about what he claims are contradictions in Scripture. Or that, for example, Matthew, he will claim, never really deals with the deity of Christ, therefore we know he didn't believe it. What? Well, let's, yeah, <laughs> let's think about this for a second. Uh, and, and this is where I like to go to Matthew chapter 5. Matthew is, in fact, a very Jewish book. Mm -hmm. It is written as an apologetic, sort of, on the lineage of Jesus for his sitting on David's throne. It is the fulfillment of Old Testament prophecies. And one other thing that's really important, uh, he demonstrates that Jesus is God uh, and, and has Christ pointing to himself as God in the text of Scripture. So you might ask yourself, where does this occur? Well, there's a lot of examples, but let's go to Matthew chapter 5, just for a moment, where we have a clear example. And we're going to pick up in verse 21. I'm going to read parts of several verses, and then we're going to come back and uh, quote other parts. In Matthew 5:21, he says, You have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not murder. In 5.27, he says, you have heard that it was said you shall not commit adultery. In 31, he says, it was also said whoever divorces his wife. In 5.33, Christ says, again, you have heard that it was said of old, you shall not swear falsely. And in 5.38, he says, you have heard it was said an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth, 5.38. So here's the question. They heard that it was said. Where did they, that saying come from? Mm. Well, it came from Moses. Where did Moses get it? Well, it came from God. So they heard that God had said these things. It came from the law of Moses. This is really important because Jesus is about to do something profound at this point. He says in verse 22, But I say to you, what did he just do? Most people miss this. He just elevated what his words are mm -hmm. to equal what the words were in the Old Testament. Mm. Wow. Yeah. 528, I say to you. 532, but I say to you. 534, but I say to you. 539, but I say to you. He lays out what they heard said, and then he raises his word to the status of the word of God, to say, but I say to you. Hmm. He just claimed to be God. Now, what would you say to someone who said, isn't, isn't he contradicting himself if he is God and the Old Testament, God and Moses, God's word to Moses, and he, Jesus is saying, but I say? Because he's no. really, he's, he's saying, you have heard that it was said, and for example, 43, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. Then Jesus said, but I say to you, love your enemies, and pray for those who persecute you. No, because if you go back and read the passage about that he's quoting from and follow it through, what he's telling you here is how to do that, how you are to love your neighbor as yourself, because that is one of the commandments, right? Love your neighbor as yourself. Mm -hmm. uh, and in fact, when the uh, uh, young attorney comes to him and says, what is the great commandment, he uh, cites the first one, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. And then he says, and the second is like the first, love your neighbor as yourself. Now here's the interesting part of that. 
the first commandment covers the the first statement covers the first four commandments, all having to do with how you love the Lord your God. And then when you go into the Mosaic Law, you have long sections further explaining how to love the Lord your God. The second statement covers the next six of the Ten Commandments, how to love your neighbor as yourself. Don't steal from them, don't have adultery as affairs as their wives, and so forth and so on. And then the law is expanded into how all of that happens. So no, we don't have any contradiction. We have him pointing back to saying, here's how mm-hmm. this actually works. Right. Excellent, excellent explanation, Don. Thank you so much. I also think of John and in other places, it's hard to believe people say Jesus never claimed to be God when they knew, the Jews knew exactly what he was saying whenever he used the phrase the Son of Man, whenever he said before Abraham was born, I am. They knew exactly what he was claiming, otherwise they wouldn't have tried to kill him. Right. So anyway, we've got to take a break. When we come back, more with Don Vino. Thank you for listening and sharing today's show via StandUpForTheTruth.com slash podcast. Now, back to Stand Up For The Truth. Here's David Fiorazzo. We have Don Vinos, our special guest today, Midwest Christian Outreach. And Don, you recently did, we're shifting gears now, I understand that, uh, but we, you recently did a video on your YouTube channel on the Enneagram, and uh, it, it's titled Enneagram, No Christian Origins, and you had Marsha Montenegro on there, which she's an expert on the New Age, and I would love to hear um, some basics on this, because a lot of people don't know what it is, why it's dangerous, and does it have anything to do with that personality you know, profile? Yeah. <laughs> well, uh, it does not, and <laughs> it's, they're being sold a bill of goods to when they think that it is, because the writers even, there's three, there's a uh, uh, University Press has four books, uh, Zondervan has one, and a workbook, and uh, uh, Thomas Nelson is about to come out with a nine-volume set. Uh, and uh, all of the writers say this is not a personality profile, not, not, not. It is the Enneagram of personality, they say, which means this. Uh, you got to go back to the theology, which comes from Richard Rohr, who is a uh, Franciscan priest. Uh, in his view, you are innately good, uh, but you got lost at some point into thinking you were a sinner. That is a false self. That's what, how they term the phrase, false self. Hmm. The Enneagram is a geometric design consisting of a single with three, uh, three geometric figures inter- intersecting at nine points on the circle. And they number them one through nine, and then they tell you, uh, if you find out uh, who your false self is on the Enneagram scale, then you can f- start finding your way back to your true self, which would be that unsinful good self that existed at birth. Huh. So that's that's basically what's going on. But most seem to not pay attention to what's going on because they could become enamored with this idea of if I can figure out why I do what I do, I can fix myself. So it kind of goes back to this idea of I have some ability to make myself better. And uh, Paul says, no, you don't. You are born a sinner by nature and you sin by choice. That's mm-hmm. the problems that you have. <laughs> so where did it originate? Well, let's take a, if we can do this in two minutes, I will try to do it. Uh, <laughs> It originated not in ancient cultures, as the Enneagram advocates claim. Some claim it, it was all goes back as far as Babylon or Egypt. Uh, it was in Sufism and uh, other kinds of, well, Sufism would be later, because that's uh, basically mystical Islam. Uh, but uh, so it kind of, kind of comes down through generations in various religions from various cultures, uh, and my guess my first question is, well, even if that was true, why would we go to, I don't know, Babylonian religions to find out about God? Well, here's why. Because Richard Rohr, who's the premier advocate of this, is what is called, here's the big word, the $12 word is he's a perennialist. What does that mean? Richard Rohr believes that all religions have the essential right truth about God. Hmm. So, you could be a Christian and a Buddhist, and in fact, if you were a Buddhist and a Christian, you would be a better Christian. Wow. Because you've expanded your religious worldview, and uh, so that impacts also on contemplative prayer. 
That's why he incorporates Eastern mysticism into the contemplative prayer movement because of his view that all religions have the truth about God. So that's the first problem. The second problem is it isn't ancient, and we have, in fact, if you watch our whole uh, YouTube video from yesterday, which is kind of long, we do them a little long because we want people to grasp everything, and it's about an hour, 15 minutes, but we have a short segment in there recording one of the individuals, his name is uh, Claudio Naranjo, who is the one who ascribed personality uh, elements to the Enneagram, which he tells us he got through automatic writing. Now, uh, that would concern me. If I got something through automatic writing, I would say it's suspect. They only get that through demonology, really. Mm. Uh, (laughs) And... He also says that they really it really isn't ancient, that they made that up. And here's why they made that up. He and another guy named uh, 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 Ecasio, uh, Ecasio, Oscar, uh, Claudio Ecasio, uh, that uh, they took Oscar Wilde's uh, uh, statement of, if you want your idea to become really important, famous, then ascribe it to a famous person. And so we made it up to make it sound like it has this, you know, long history. It doesn't. Mm. It started in the early 1900s with a Russian mystic by the name of George Gurdjieff, who developed a circle with the Enneagram figures inside as his explanation for the cosmos. It's cosmic. And if you look at that, you can understand all of the cosmos through there. Uh, he also was a contemporary with Theosophy, uh, Madame Blavatsky, and adopted a, a lot of her ideas as well. Wow. Uh, it was not Christian. It was not even no. to find out who you are. No. Uh, yep. They even say, uh, I'm reading an article on that, he believed every person is in his essence perfect and in unity with himself as well as with the cosmos. That is, right. that's new age. That's not Christian. Well, he, a lot of the new age comes from uh, from uh, him and uh, his uh, his uh, counterpart uh, Opinsky, uh, uh, who wrote something called The Fourth Way, based on that book. A lot of that stuff became sort of the basis and framework for what became the New Age ultimately. Uh, the first time we actually see um, anything ascribed to it was around 1954 when uh, an individual uh, listed the planets on it as descriptions of of humanity, a sort of a form of astrology, not quite, but kind of in that direction. <laughs> uh, then uh, in the uh, late 60s and 1960s, Acaso uh, 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 grabs a hold of it, and he's in Arica, Chile, and he has it there, and he's kind of teaching it a little bit, incorporated with other things, but didn't ascribe personalities to it. Except that from some of the things we've read, he claims to have been in a seven-day trance state with an angel who gave him all of this information. Uh, An angel named Metatron. Sounds kind of like a Disney figure, almost Transformer, maybe. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) But then it goes from there to to, uh, Oscar Naranjo, uh, who adds the personality stuff to it, which he got through automatic writing, not by any research or study. And Don, is that how it got into the church? That's what, we only have a couple minutes left. I want to understand yeah. how some well, tell you. Christians I'm started falling there. for it. Great. Uh, I'm getting there. Because <laughs> from there, he goes to a place called Asalen, which is a hotbed of New Age uh, birthing, uh, passed on to Roman Catholic priest Bob Oakes, who then teaches it to Richard Rohr, Richard Rohr and, and Andreas, uh, this other guy, Andreas, authored a book in 1989 in German, translated in 1990 into English, uh, on the Christian view of the Enneagram. Uh. He begins teaching it. Uh, he comes into contact with the emerging church and progressives of in course. the uh, early 21st century. Mm-hmm. Uh, and if you look back and say, well, when did the contemplative prayer movement, same time, Contemplative prayer, Enneagram, all start entering the church about that time, but not big. Contemplative prayer, big, but not this. This entered the church in 2016. Huh. Where? University Press. Who are the authors? Disciples of Richard Rohr. Mm. If you want to know about the Enneagram, you have to know Richard Rohr. Okay. We'll have to, that's going to have to be for next time. I would love to uh, just get to know who who he is, and I'm sure uh, our listeners would want to know, and we can look that up too. Um, 
But for today's podcast, Don, I wish we did have more time. It, it was hard to cover two important topics, but this is something that I've only recently heard. And you say it's it was 2016, three years ago when it started right. creeping into the church. But anything that finds its, in, its way into the church, we've got to be very cautious of some of these ideas and where they come from and not conform to the world, but be transformed by the renewing of our minds. Right. Absolutely. All right, Don Vino, Midwest Christian Outreach. How can people subscribe to your videos that you do every Tuesday and also find more information about you? Well, uh, they have uh, several sources. They could go to our website and click to anything and get to our YouTube site, obviously, and to our Facebook page. Uh, it it uh, live streams to our Facebook page, Midwest Christian Outreach, Inc., uh, it is on our YouTube channel, Midwest Christian Outreach Inc. So if you go either to Facebook or to YouTube and type in Midwest Christian Outreach Inc., you'll get there. Uh, it also uh, live streams to Periscope. So three sources you have to go to. Excellent. And we'll put that link or a couple of them. And we're going to put a link to your most recent video on the Enneagram with, that you did with uh, Marsha Montenegro. We'll put that in today's podcast post. I appreciate your time, Don. God bless you. You guys have a Merry Christmas. All right. Blessings to you. Thanks, Don. All right. When we come back tomorrow, very important show, particularly for men. That's next. Stand Up For The Truth, a ministry of Lakeshore Communications Incorporated. Keep the discussion going on social media. Stand Up WI on Facebook and Twitter. Now we wrap up today's Stand Up For The Truth. All right. Well, thank you so much for listening. A lot of information in that podcast. We appreciate uh, just some of the, the guests we have that come on. I was looking at the calendar just a minute ago. And in the last three or four weeks, we've had three new guests on, at least three every week. And then guests we haven't had on in a while came back to join us. So I'm just really thankful for just the the arsenal of uh, expertise that we have at our fingertips. So tomorrow, Josh Paris of Ephesians 5 Ministry, some straight talk about dealing with lust and sexual immorality, how to confront it, how to have accountability in your life. Important topic tomorrow on Stand for the Truth. Thanks again for listening. And remember to share our podcasts, please, on social media. God bless you and keep speaking the truth about things that matter.